We're going to read from Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 19. Before we do that, let me just uh, give a quick uh, reminder for any of you who are able to join us tonight is the Glory of God monthly regional prayer gathering. That's a multi-church gathering. It's going to be taking place at 6 o'clock tonight at Crossroads Assembly of God Church in Weymouth. That's 241 Broad Street. Love to have you join us. They always do a great job. Probably the most multi-ethnic Christian church I know of on the South Shore. Uh, Looking forward to that. This is Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Join me in a short prayer. Father God, we gather here again this morning and in the midst of our celebration, we also want to focus in and learn from you and your wisdom and your word and So we turn to these words from Paul this morning, and I ask that you'll give us understanding into what he meant when he wrote, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, we think through all the challenges of living as Christ followers and and biblically oriented Christ followers in this age. In the words of Eugene Cho, I ask you to help us as we support both the equality of women and the dignity of the unborn for that feels like a very lonely place to be, yet we know we're not alone. So may we lead with hope and love. May we keep showing up with humility and empathy. May we be faithful amid the tension of these truths that we hold. In Jesus' name, amen. A technical recruiter was nearing the end of an interview with a young engineer. The engineer was fresh out of college, and The interview got to the point where the the interviewer said, and what salary were you hoping to start with? The young engineer was ready for this, and he immediately replied, in the neighborhood of $125,000, depending on the benefits package. The recruiter smiled at him and said, well, what would you say to a package of five weeks of vacation to start, 14 paid holidays, full medical and dental benefits, a company matching retirement fund of up to 50% of your salary per year, and a company car leased every two years, say, a red Corvette. (laughs) With that, the young engineer stood straight up and said, are you kidding? And the recruiter replied, yes, but you started it. The point of that story is about expectations. We all have expectations, but it is always important to have realistic expectations. 
This morning we're beginning a new series that focuses on our stewardship of life. In order to do that, we're going to look at a handful of expectations and commitments of the earliest Christians. I'm calling this series, All In, and the foundational question that I'll be asking every week is this. What does it mean to be all in for Jesus? Part one of this series focuses on the Apostle Paul's stewardship of life's aspirations. And so our topic today is based on this statement that Paul makes in this passage that we just read, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Welcome to Sunday morning here at North River. I'm so glad that we've entered our summer season and that we're gathering together here at this combined service at 10 a.m., Good morning, and welcome to all of you who are here in our worship center today. And I want to thank all of you who made last Sunday's Father's Day car show such a big success. We had quite a crew of people who volunteered and served hundreds and hundreds of people who made their way to our campus. Now, why do we do things like this? I'd like to go through just a quick reminder. Why do we do something like this? Well, first, we were creating a fun day for fathers, kids, and and families of any size. The second is it gives us an easy way to serve our neighbors and friends who find something like this to be fun. But there's a third reason behind something like this. Efforts like this create opportunities for what we call pre-evangelism. Long before you and I ever earn the right to share the gospel with somebody, we need occasions where we rub shoulders with people who, are, who rarely, if ever, darken the doors of a church. And there were several really good conversations that were started around here last Sunday afternoon. So thank you, thank you, thank you again for embracing events like this. Just a quick word to those of you who are watching online today. You're an important part of this congregation. Some of you have sent me comments or emails or you filled out an online connection card. Doing that takes your participation to another level. And I love hearing from you. So as Christy said earlier, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can text the word hello to 781-227-8765. You can connect with us at our website. If you connect on the I'm New button on our, on our website, it'll take you to a connection card that you can fill out online. Or you can do that over at our Welcome Center here this morning. If you ask for one, they'll give you one. All those end up on my desk or on my computer, and it allows us to start the conversation. The question I asked a moment ago is this. What does it mean for us to be all in for Jesus? We're talking about this marvelous, bold statement that the Apostle Paul makes, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Four thoughts about this statement. First, life and death concerns fueled Paul's thinking. So he writes in verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. We hear a sense of urgency in what Paul was writing. Paul's first century letter to the Philippian church provides an amazing perspective. Paul was writing to encourage this Christian community in a very challenging season. He wanted them to live with joy, the joy of Christ specifically, in each and every situation. So the concept of joy is one of the most repeated themes throughout this letter. Paul was radiating the joy of Christ indwelling despite his own circumstances that we'll talk about in a moment. And he was urging the church to continue their gospel-centered approach to outreach and life. 
So he cited their partnership with him in the gospel. And he reminded them that the Lord who'd begun a good work in each of them would carry it through to completion all the way until the day that Jesus returns. And he wanted to thank them for their sacrificial giving in support of his ministry. This perspective comes into sharper view as we remember that Paul was writing from prison. Technically, Paul was not held in a physical prison with bars and cells and all of that, although he had done that at other times. He was in house arrest in Rome. This was because the administration of Caesar was not yet sure what to do with him. So in house arrest, Paul could not leave and was chained to a Roman soldier each day. But they allowed him to receive visitors, which meant that he could continue his teaching ministry. And as a result, all of the Roman guards throughout the city were hearing about the gospel from Paul. In a sense, they were chained to him while he was having church services day in and day out. And his protégés could take his letters and then deliver them to the various congregations where Paul had taught and to the churches that he was encouraging along the way. We hear in this opening statement his heart's desire to honor Christ, whether by life or by death. Now, Paul knew that Rome could insist on a painful, torturous death for him. And think of it, James, the brother of John, had already been the first disciple to be executed. Before his encounter with the risen Jesus, Paul had consented to the stoning of Stephen, one of the first deacons in the very first church in Jerusalem. If you're a deacon, think about that. It's a rather dangerous job sometimes. And Paul was wondering, was this kind of sentence awaiting him? If suffering was going to be a part of the package, Paul wanted to be prepared. So he was seeking courage from the Lord to honor Christ no matter what the outcome. The second move of this message is that Paul's thinking became a stewardship of life's aspirations. Again, we go back to that same verse. Listen to the way it starts out. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Paul identifies some primary goals or aspirations for his own life. He states it this way. He doesn't want to be ashamed by the way that he handles whatever lies ahead for him. So he determines that he will act with courage. You get the sense that Paul is stealing himself for that moment when courage would be needed. And he wants to exalt Christ in that moment. Whether that means he's exalting Christ through a painful death or whether that means that he's exalting Christ in the way that he would go on in life. Paul, in this moment, was thinking ahead about his aspirations. He had settled on bringing glory to Jesus in every situation, and he expresses that desire with the word exalt. When we exalt someone, we lift up that person's name or that reputation, and we try to take the spotlight off of ourselves and put it onto that other person. So Paul sees himself as a servant of Jesus whose goal is to honor Jesus, to promote his work and cause, and to lead others to consider following Jesus with him. That's what he meant in, in, in saying that uh, whether by life or death, he wanted to exalt Jesus. Now, Paul had come from a dramatic conversion experience, and he, he saw as the foundation of his life that that he had been brought from a point of opposing the gospel into a point of leadership and teaching people the gospel. We sang the words uh, a few moments ago in, in one of those songs that said, uh, we live for you, 
This is what Paul is talking about. Because Christ died for us, we live for him, and, and we give back a part of our lives in service to him. In effect, Paul this way was providing a glimpse into this concept of stewarding our lives. He didn't want to walk through life aimlessly. He wanted to make sure that his actions and his words led to a worthwhile goal in the end. This is why he brought up not wanting to be ashamed. He didn't want to squander the opportunities of his lifetime. Steve Maraboli is a much sought-after speaker and expert in behavioral science. He puts his aspiration this way, quote, I want to live my life in such a way that when I get up out of, out of bed in the morning, the devil says, oh crap, he's up, unquote. <laughs> in effect, that's what Paul is saying here. Question, have you considered how seeing yourself as a steward of life's opportunities, the opportunities that God gives you, can impact the decisions you make? Growth and change can rise from this kind of thinking. From the moment that Jesus called Paul to this gospel mission, Paul saw himself as a servant of that mission. He went from being a self-righteous persecutor of Christians to becoming a recipient of God's grace. And he saw himself as so unworthy of the grace he had received that his goal was to thank Jesus by exalting his name forevermore. From that moment on, he saw himself as a steward of life's opportunities. The earliest Christians saw themselves this way, as stewards of what they'd been given by God. Now, when we see ourselves as stewards, we align our faith with God's long-term goals for our lives. Thinking about the end of life and the hopes that we have for the end prompts some, this amazing ability for us to focus on priorities. One example of this, small example, a few years ago, Sue and I updated our wills, and it, it provoked a whole lot of talking together about how we wanted to see the end of life. Don't worry, we're not even close to that, I hope. <laughs> but we wanted to put things in order so that some of what we have goes to our kids and that some of what we have at the end begins to fuel some of the organizations and causes that we are committed to. Blessing our church is one part of that. Uh, and so we began to take stock of all that and kind of rearrange the way that we were looking at our will and our final statement about life. In what ways are you a steward of the gifts and talents and resources of your life? Just one small thought. Have you considered putting North River in your will? It's an easy way to do it. When you die, you're certainly not going to use it in any other way. Here's the big idea. Jesus was all in for us and he calls us to be all in for him right to the very end. So here's what we've said so far. Life and death concerns fueled Paul's thinking. His thinking became a stewardship of life's aspirations. Here's the third move of this paragraph of scripture we read. His determination turned into a life statement. Here's the life statement in verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul knew that he was facing two likely opportunities or possibilities. The first was that the Lord would allow him to, to uh, have his earthly days end. He was incarcerated. Rome was a violent and brutal enterprise in some ways. Some of the earliest Christians had already died the death of martyrs. Paul knew from prophecy that had come from Jesus 
that his life would likely end that way too. The second possibility was that Paul would be set free for a period of time and he would continue on his mission. And so he was evaluating the pros and cons of each situation. In this life, if this life was over for Paul, he would be united in the presence of God with the Lord Jesus. And he's saying, this would be really good. This would be great for me. This is attractive to Paul. His labors would be over. He would see Jesus and be at rest. But if he was able to continue on with his life here on this earth, he knew that he could pour more into the mission. And that would be better for the members of that Philippian church that he was writing to, as well as some of the other churches that he had started or was encouraging. And Paul would be able to add to their knowledge, their training, and their development. His traveling ministry of encouraging in person would begin to start up again instead of just writing letters from a distance. There's great power and clarity that comes from having a life statement or a personal mission statement. A number of years ago, a friend of mine, an older and wiser pastor, told me about his personal mission statement that he developed as a parent. This was it, to raise children who make wise decisions in every realm of life. I heard that the first time and I thought, that is brilliant. Why didn't somebody tell me that when I had really little kids? But this is fantastic to raise children who make wise decisions in every realm of life. It's easy to memorize, and there are a multitude of ways that you can begin to incorporate that kind of thinking into parenting. Another example of that is the college that Sue and I went to uh, had this similar motto that was emblazoned on the front sign on on the front campus, for Christ and His kingdom. As a liberal arts college, students are set free to pursue a wide variety of studies but as a Christian liberal arts college, every discipline that we, we were approaching is combined with this means of honoring Christ and furthering the work that he gave us as his followers. And we were challenged to think through all the disciplines that we were learning through that lens of how does this honor Christ? I graduated from that school 41 years ago, and that motto still impacts choices that I make every day and every week. Jesus was all in for us and calls us to be all in for him. And then here's the fourth move of of this message and of Paul's thinking in this paragraph. This was Paul's way of saying, I'm all in. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul lived long enough to write nearly half the New Testament. He started churches, trained leaders, and traveled around encouraging Christian communities. When he was held in prison or house arrest, he didn't quit. The mission didn't end, but the methods for carrying on the mission changed. So he wrote letters to instruct, to answer questions, and to encourage those who were discouraged. Along the way, he suffered beatings, was left for dead, and there were many hardships. But each time he kept going, fueled by this motto, to live as Christ and to die as gain. The long-term impact of that motto in his life produced a generation of Christians who laid their lives on the line for Jesus too. And you and I, whether we realize it or not, are beneficiaries of those life choices today. Jesus demonstrated that he was all in when he went to the cross for us. And the returning question is, are you and I all in for him? God is looking for people who are all in. God is looking for young graduates who are approaching life, who are all in for Jesus no matter where he takes you. God is looking for older people 
who aren't just quitting and waiting to the day when your number's called, but who are all in for Jesus until our last breath is breathed. If you're willing, contemplate this concept over the next few weeks as we explore what it means to be all in for Jesus. The great thing about having a hybrid approach where we're both here and we're online is that if you miss a Sunday over the next few weeks, and I know next weekend's a holiday weekend, you can still watch online. So you don't have an excuse. You can watch this entire series and we can all buy in to all of that. And I'd like to challenge all of us to strongly consider over the next few weeks what does it mean for you and me not just to have a mere approach to faith but to be all in for Jesus. How might God move you call you, lead you when you decide that you're all in for him. For him because he was all in for you. This just might be the most life-changing summer ever. Jesus was all in for us. He calls us to be all in for him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this wonderful congregation here at North River of people who come from a wide swath of towns and cities. And, and we have old friends here in the congregation today, and we have people who are checking us out for the first time. I pray that you will use this for your good, and as Paul said, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ and to cause us to consider what it means to follow the one who's given up everything for us. May your Spirit guide us and grant us wisdom all week long. In Jesus' name, amen.